Salutations. This is British actor John Gilgold, and I don't have much time. I'm only allowed to be in this episode for about 25 seconds, so all I must say is that these gentlemen are doing God's work, presenting the screen to you. I've been John Gilgood, now I must go back to my grave. Goodbye. See, Jason, that's how all of our introductions should be. Short, curt, to the point. Mr. Gilgood doesn't fuck around when it comes to these sorts of things. He's in, he's out, he's done. Much like his role in Elizabeth, there, for a moment, and then... Gone, like Kaiser Sose. He only needs 30 seconds. He's one of the great British actors of all time. He doesn't need more than 30 seconds. He gets his opinion out. He's done. Because that's what it was, right? It was just him giving his opinion. Oh, I think that Elizabeth should be murdered. And then she was murdered. Mm. Yeah, I don't think that happened. No? Did we watch a different movie? (laughs) I think Elizabeth uh, made it through that film. I think she survived, yeah. Shit. Jason, this is a podcast. It's called Four Screen and Country. And I am Brendan. And I'm Jason. And this is a podcast. It is. And it's called Four Screen and Country. And I am Brendan. And I'm Jason. Well, what's going on? <laughs> We're in a loop. Uh, but yeah, we are, we are here to talk about the British Film Institute Top 100 British Films of All Time list, uh, curated in 1999. The best year. The best year. The best years of our lives. Well, it was the year we partied, like it was that year. Yes, exactly. <laughs> We partied in 1999 like it was 1999? Yeah, we did. And it was awesome. Okay, I believe. I was in grade nine, Brendan. Grade nine in 1999? That's right. Oh, dude. So that means now you're in grade 29? You know it. Why did it take me so long to figure that out? <laughs> it was 20 years ago. God damn it. Um, that was also the year of Fight Club. <laughs> and that was the year of Girl Interrupted, which is one of my favorite films, Fight Club, and one of, and my girlfriend's favorite, my wife's favorite film. God damn it. I've only been married for a month and I still can't get it. And of course, each week we talk about a film on that list. We're about a third of the way through. We're getting, we're getting there. We are chugging all along. Yeah. Little engine that could is this podcast. We're mm-hmm. talking about this week. We're going way down the list. Ooh. Number So this is obviously the shitty movies. This is the ones that nobody likes. It's all fucking crap. Yeah. Killing Fields, fuck you. <laughs> well, I wasn't a huge fan. <laughs> but this is uh, number 94 on the list. The Bells of St. Trinian's begin again. Trinian's begin again. Sorry, I don't know why I do that. I'm out of it. We should note, this is uh, my um, third recording of the day, so I'm a little a little loopy, so Jason's going to be taking the lead. And I'm week. three beers deep, so good luck. Uh, Bells of St. Trinian's, number 94, 1954, I do believe. And But before we get into this, Jason, before we explore the Bells of St. Trinian's... Do we have a pod coin ad to do, Brendan? What am I going to do with all my pod coins, Brendan? Um... Because I got 300 free ones when I signed up for this podcast with the code ScreenPod. I'll give you this sack. Ooh, it's burlap. And it's got a dollar sign on it. Oh, I like this. I'm going to carry all my money in this from now on. <laughs> and all my pod coins. Just your pod coins. Just it, pod it coins. Actually, if you put money in it, that bag will burn. Oh. oh no. um, so before we get to this week, we need to talk about last... We need to read some comments regarding last week's film, which was, of course, Elizabeth. Comments. Comments. Questions. Um, do we actually have concerns. questions? Have we ever had any questions complaints. or concerns? I mean, I don't really care about complaints. Dress code violations. How would they even know? Management details. Oh, I've got some problems with management. I tell you that much. Jason, 
They're, they're just comments. Oh, we're okay. Gonna, we're going to read some comments. All right. About uh, last week's film, Elizabeth. And I can tell all the Karens out there, keep it to yourself. Unless your name's Karen, actually, in which case, thanks for listening. Yeah, Karen. I don't know what that means. <laughs> you never heard the term Karen? That's that's the that's the that's the stereotypical person. Well, it could be a woman, but the stereotypical woman with the can I see a manager oh, haircut? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Her name is Karen. I don't think we have any Karens. But the first comment it actually comes from Twitter, Jason. Oh, at female nonsense. Ah, super fan. Glad to hear from her. Uh, she says, "I am glad Shakespeare in Love's on the BFI list because it's one of my faves, and the costume on." Costumes are on point. It's funny how Joseph Fiennes had a bit of a meteor moment playing two Tudor fuckboys in Shakespeare in Love and Elizabeth and then descended back into obscurity. Oh, well, he was an enemy at the gates. That was pretty cool. But compared to Rafe? Yeah, no, Rafe, Rafe, I mean, Rafe is M. What's Joseph Fiennes? He's a Z. Rafe is the fucking lead of the Avengers. Rafe commanded a team of superheroes. Yes. British superheroes. <laughs> yeah. Including Iron Man. Yeah. Uh, and then we get into the comments from Facebook. Uh, Joe McGregor says, this is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, Ryan Cirati says, love the divine Kate Blanchett. Some serious wardrobe as well. Oh, yeah. Wonderful wardrobe. Beautiful uh, movie. Bob McLennan, Jason. Bob McLennan says, Jeffrey Rush kicks ass in this, but it is definitely Kate Blanchett's movie the whole way. Which is true. She owns it. I mean, she is Elizabeth, and she so much so that she comes back many years later mm-hmm. as the, Elizabeth II, Electric Boogaloo. Yes, in the in the great uh, in the great pre-crash era, you know, when when movies were at their most opulent, we had Elizabeth the Golden Age, and then everything went to shit. Elizabeth II, Royal Family Aloo. No, stop trying. All right. Caitlin Hansen has a bit of a longer one, if you want to read that one. Caitlin Hansen says, As far as the costumes in this movie, breathtaking. When she walks in at the end, dressed in white from head to toe, it was stunning. It's such a dramatic statement and so far removed from the scared, regal show of her crowning. She was a queen, whole and untouched by the perviness of man, government, and gods. A blank slate on which to grow her legacy, unsustained by foul expectations and the blood of warring factions. Transcendent. You are transcendent, Caitlin. Holy shit. Thanks for that comment. Uh, now here we go. We got another. Uh, we got something on kind of the other side of the coin here, Jason. We got from Danielle Elliott. She says, "What I remember most about the film uh, was being annoyed by the frenetic camera work, which seemed self-indulgent." That camera work, I think, in in 2019, seems like pretty, you know, standard. I would say, like, there is some cool, like, like moving camera moments. But this was like four years before Behind Enemy Lines, which, as we know, is the great cutoff as far as camera work goes. <laughs> so, so it it do- doesn't seem with modern eyes, modern Behind Enemy Lines influenced eyes, it doesn't actually seem that crazy. But I get what you're saying. Behind Modern Enemy Lines. That's right. <laughs> the, one of the greatest films of all time. Obviously, obviously. The Owen best, Wilson. Mwah. Owen Wilson's best work. Falling into a mass grave like that. I've never seen acting that it's, quite lived up to that. It's Behind Enemy Lines, and then slightly below, it's You, Me, and Dupree. Absolutely. And, Two, and then slightly below that, Hall Pass. Those three will be in the top ten of the AFI's 21st century list. <laughs> you know they will. Uh, the, number one, two, and three. We've just revealed it on we this revealed podcast. It right here, folks. Exclusive. Hot, hot scoop. Um, uh, David Francisco, I'm assuming he owns the city of San Francisco. That's the guy. He says, I preferred the miniseries with Glenda Jackson from Women in Love. Um, though I can't speak ill of Kate either. No. 
Uh, just spoiler alert, we will be watching a movie related to Elizabeth. It will not be the miniseries. <laughs> um, I think I think it should be obvious. Yeah, yeah, I think we know which one will come up at some point. Uh, Brooke Ann says, This is one of my favorite movies. Both Blanchett and Rush are divine. All the acting was great. I love Tudor history, and I like to think this film came the closest to her. It's probably more so than the Tudors, the television program, which is a hot soap. But I mean... I mean, yes, I think it came closest to her personality, yeah. although we did have a big conversation yes. last week about the historical yeah, accuracy. Certainly the movie is not a totally historically accurate uh, right. portrayal of that. But yeah. I think in capturing kind of her essence, yeah. it did a very good job at that. Yeah, sure. And, and then uh, we, when we eventually do get to the Golden Age, perhaps we'll see a little more of her. <sighs> Spoiler alert, that is the other movie we'll talk talking about. Some I think I already mentioned it. I just didn't mention it by Yeah, I did mention it by name, so fuck you. Oh, Okay. Uh, Lou S. says, It introduced me to one of our greatest actors, Kate Blanchett. Unfortunately, its sequel ruined it for me. Uh-oh. The Golden Age is ridiculously campy. It goes so off the rails in spectacular ways, it actually might be a perfect how-did-this-get-made candidate. Well, thanks for the warning. I appreciate it, Lou. Um, I think he means what were they thinking. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't, yeah, know, what, I don't know what this how did, what, what is that? That's a rip-off show, I'd mm. say. Yeah, so what were the things been around since 2005? You and Nathan both have lots of hair. <laughs> I think. I assume Nathan has lots of hair. Nathan, if you don't have hair, let me know. <laughs> Pretty sure he has hair. Yeah, he has hair. And then our final comment, Jason, comes from Sarah Oxenham Allen. Great name. Oh, yes. And A she's... professor at Oxford, I assume. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> sure. And she says what? She says, I thought the acting was good, but this was not a good movie overall. Surprised to see it so high on the BFI list. Well, it's it's, better than The English Patient. I was going to say, I mean, it's not that high, right? 71? 71, yeah. The fact that English Patient is 50-something, I don't remember. Yeah, this is, again, I think we mentioned it in that podcast, but I will reiterate, I believe that if they were to make a new list, uh, BFI list, I feel like this would be one of the movies that would probably get cut. Yeah. As much as we enjoyed it, uh, I just don't know that it hangs with uh, a lot of the other ones. Oh boy, this is going to be interesting, Jason. Not when Passport to Pimlico is in your future. (laughs) I think that deserves to be on there. But that's a whole other discussion for that episode, which you probably already listened to. Sure. And I mean, there are a few costume dramas on here so hmm. do we really need that many exactly like I mean, we've got elizabeth we've got madness of king george we've got shakespeare, uh, and, love shakespeare and love coming up we've got uh we still have um uh oh my god the one with henry where he's trying to like uh, bah, 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 what am i thinking what am i thinking of henry portrait of a serial killer yes that's the one <laughs> with all the different uh, uh outfits that it's, on michael, the tip, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue and i can't think well, of what's it. that guy's name who's in that movie michael <sighs> He's on The Walking Dead. Douglas. Yeah, Michael Douglas. <laughs> so, Jason, the last thing we're going to do here is we're going to compare mm-hmm. Elizabeth, which yep. is number 71 on the British Film Institute Top 100 list, sure. to number 71 on the American Film Institute Top 100 list. Hit me up. Which is a movie we both seen. Oh. Also in 1998, mm-hmm. Saving Private Ryan. God damn. Saving Private Ryan all the way. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that it is necessarily the best war movie ever made. Uh, in fact, I could probably point you at least five or ten that are probably better. But few have have achieved that level of just visceral authenticity. And I sound like marketing material right now, but it's true. Like, it just... That opening 20 minutes is among some of the greatest sequences ever oh, put to film. And no even denying. the rest of the movie is not that... Not that... I mean, the story, you know... They gotta go find this one guy, whatever. The, but just the interactions that the characters have, the uh, the... the scenes of combat and especially that scene at the end where they're dealing with the tank coming through the town across the bridge and everything it's fucking nuts 
Mm-hmm. So, saving Private Ryan all the way. Elizabeth, good try. Try again. Well, I might have a hot take here then, Jason, because I'm actually going to go with Elizabeth. Gasp. Yeah. I, and it's not because I don't like Saving Private Ryan. It's mm. not. I don't. I, I, I like it. I think it's a fine film. Um, it's one of those movies, though, that I watched again recently mm-hmm. and didn't like nearly as much as when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. I, did, I rem- remembered it being better. Yeah. And, and again, I'm not trying to say it's bad. No. But it's just with the, the, the thing where you're like, wow, I, I remember, seem to remember enjoying that more when I was younger. And it was a long period of time between when I first watched it and when I watched it again recently. So I will say Elizabeth gets the nod for me. Um, but it, but yeah, it's a good it's a good film. So what I'm hearing from you, Brennan, is that you hate this movie, and because you hate this movie, you also hate me and everything I stand for. Um, that's basically it. Yeah. Okay. All right. As long as we're clear. I'm glad you uh, figured that out. Yeah. So that wraps that up. So now uh, we're gonna get to this week's conversation. Ooh. We're going to talk about the bells of Saint Tridians. The bells. The bells. Ooh. thing jason the bells of saint trinians began again we're here to talk about it today we are here to talk about it. it is number 94 as i said um starring alistair sim as clarence fritton and millie fritton now many of you may remember alistair sim from his star making turn although i'm sure he was a star before then in uh the classic version of dickens a christmas carol as what, quite possibly the most famous Ebenezer Scrooge outside of Bill Murray. Yeah. And McDuck. And McDuck, obviously. Uh, so he's playing dual roles here as a, a, a male and female uh, twins. George Cole as Flash Harry. Uh, Joyce Grenfell as Ruby Gates, deter- uh, Detective Ruby Gates. also well, Sergeant. Sergeant Ruby, Ruby Gates. Gates. Also will be, will be known as an alias as uh, Candy Crawley. No, Chloe. <laughs> See? Done. My mind is gone. <laughs> Chloe, Chloe Crawley. Crawley. Which, interestingly, Crawley is the last name of Matthew Crawley in uh, Downton Abbey. There you go. <laughs> I assume this person is related to Matthew Crawley. Probably Matthew's niece. Definitely. Even though she's a fake person with a made-up name. Hermione Baddeley. Our old friend. She probably gets less lines in this one than Room at the Top. I would agree. Uh, Betty Ann Davis as Miss Waters, who does scripture and needlework. Mm-hmm. Uh, Renee Houston as Miss Brimmer, who does arts and crafts. Beryl Reed as Miss Wilson, the math teacher. Irene Handel uh, is, is Miss Gale, English literature. Uh, she, you may know, remember her from uh, I'm All Right, Jack. She is Peter Sellers' wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary Merrill as Miss Buckland. And Joan Sims as the bombshell Miss Dawn. Ow, ow. So, Jason, this movie, what is it about? 
Well, Brendan, so the movie opens with us taking a quick brief visit with the Sultan of Mayed. Mm-hmm. Or Makyad. Played the by... Sultan of Makyad. Uh, racially appropriate casting, right? Yeah. Uh, clearly a, an old British actor who is browned up a bit. <laughs> uh, and, and, of course, we... And this is 19... 19- 54, and so, of course, this sultan has a couple of jokes made uh, on the idea that he has too many wives and he can't remember who they are. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, obviously, that's where we gotta go right out of the gate. But the sultan of Makiad wants to send his daughter to a prestigious boarding school in England, which Fatima. is now an ally. Yeah, Fat- Fatima. Fatima. Princess Fatima. Or they call her, they, they go between Fatima and Fatima, the whole thing. Fatima, yes. Depending on how British you are. Yes. Um, so the girl's governess recommends that she should go to St. Trinian's, which is a school in England. And coincidentally, it happens to be right near the stables where the Sultan's beloved racehorses are kept. And also, I gotta say right away, something that does not hold up well in 2019 is that the way this school is introduced is by seeing a sign that says St. Trinian's that is then riddled with bullets. <laughs> with machine gun bullets. <laughs> Uh, I don't know that uh, a light-hearted uh, comedy would open nowadays with a school sign being shot up. Yeah, maybe not in 2019, Brendan, but in 1954, that was cool. <laughs> so, it's decided. She's going to St. Trinian's. Uh, at the school, however, things aren't good. The finances are in the toilet, and the headmistress, one Millicent Fritton, doesn't know what to do. And again, this is Alistair Sim playing... Alistair Sim playing both her and her brother, Clarence. Yeah. Clarence shows up at the school and has a little bit of money for her because, 10 pounds in fact, because he wants to re-enroll his daughter Arabelle into the school. Arabella had been previously, Arabella, sorry. Arabella had been previously expelled, but Clarence manages to get her back in because Clarence likes to play the ponies. Um, and I would like to uh, listen to a little bit of their conversation Please because do. I like it. <laughs> this is this is Alistair Sim acting against Alistair Sim. Yes. Yes, I know, I know, Millie, I know. Goodness knows, I've been lenient with her to the point of imbecility, Clarence. Monica Drew wasn't expelled when she burned down the gymnasium. The gymnasium was insured. The sports pavilion was not. I appreciate the distinction, Millie. I can no longer afford to have to have continual arson about in my school. I had to make an example. But why pick an Arabella? Clarence, when poor Frida and I started the school during the general strike of 1926, we vowed to make it the happiest, carefree establishment in the whole of Britain. And what a gay Arcadia of happy girlhood it was then, until the war broke out. And such things as good manners and good taste were replaced by by your black market values. What are you doing in that dreadful get-up? I'm going to Newbury Races. Still following those pernicious animals? Really, Clarence, you're a disgrace to the family. I'd hardly call you a credit to it, Millie. Then why are you so anxious for me to take Arabella back? Business. I hear that the Sultan of Makyad is sending his daughter to school here. And what, pray, has that got to do with you or Arabella? The Sultan of Makyad is a string of first-class racehorses, Millie. Do you, do you mean to say that you're sending Arabella back here simply to get you uh, racing information? But in my world, we live by information. Well, Clarence, this is a school, not, not Newmarket Heath. 
Of course it's not Newmarket Heath. It is St. Trinian's. Yeah, I love that look like this is... This, she's so, like, uh, offended by mm. that. And then when we actually see what the school is, we're like... Yeah. Mm. So Clarence, yeah, Clarence is into the ponies. He's into horse racing. Yes. And he sends Arabella to the school to get information on the horse because he has a horse named Blue Prince who is going to be racing against the prince's uh, horse appropriately named Arab Boy. Could have been a lot worse. Yeah, I suppose. (laughs) So meanwhile, a crime wave has been hitting the local town and the police superintendent is going to find out who's doing it. It's a great sequence, too, when the girls arrive at the school. Yeah. Is everybody's, like, clearing out. Like, the police find out. They're like, oh, we're out of here. And they, like, like, lock the town down. They the, board up the windows. The chickens run back into their coop. Yeah. <laughs> and the superintendent learns that when the girls of St. Trinian's are coming back, uh, he immediately has to pull out a bottle and have a quick shot because he can't handle it. So the superintendent decides that he needs to send in a mole, an undercover officer. And who does he send, Brendan? Sergeant Ruby Gates. Absolutely. Who clearly, uh, based on the context clues of this, has has made love, uh, has, well, fucked her way into this position. Um, that doesn't mean she's unqualified, but clearly the fact that she's in a relationship with the superintendent has led to her promotion to sergeant. Yeah, I. this is probably one of my favorite scenes, um, just establishing their relationship. Can we actually listen to a little bit of this? Yes, please. Because um, I do like her... Uh, <laughs> and just to give you a visual addition to this when he comes over and, and like just holds her shoulder momentarily she does that real that real stereotype like tense up yeah. and like raise her body up thing mm-hmm. uh where even like the feel of her his hand on her shoulder is almost like orgasmic mm-hmm. so yeah just listen to this a little bit here when he gives her this mission you taught in a girl's school yes i was a games mistress quite and that's the reason i've chosen you for this job i want you to go into a girl's school incognito of course and see what's going on there it's not St. Trinian's. St. Trinian's. No, Sammy. No. You of all people to send me there. There are limits. I won't do it. I shall regard a refusal as a dereliction of duty. I can't help it. It's not fair. You're taking advantage of me. Don't be ridiculous. Yes, you are. After all we've meant to each other, it's... It's wrong. Now listen to me, Ruby. I didn't mean to mention this, but didn't I give you a promotion? Didn't I take you off the beat? I know. I know. Then surely you can do this one little thing in return. But it's not a little thing. It's it's horrible. Ruby, dear, please don't be so so unpolicewomanly. I, I, I can't help it. It's a terrible place. Yeah, just like I love how she's like, oh, it's terrible. Why? But she loves him enough that she'll do it anyways. She does agree to do it. She does. And he gives her the name Chloe Crawley, and she immediately is like, oh, they're going to call me Creepy Crawley. Yeah, he didn't even ask her. He just made up a name and sent the application in. And, and the best is like she says, uh, why didn't you come up with Mavis or something? And he's like, you don't look like a Mavis. And she's like, oh, I hope I don't look like a Chloe. <laughs> no, she doesn't, because my niece is a Chloe, and she is as cute as a button and redheaded. <laughs> Are you saying that Ruby Gates is not cute? But I don't think she has red hair. No. I would guess, based on the black and white film we watched. I, I believe she has black hair. But I bet you Flory has uh, red hair. But that's later on. Okay. So, upon arrival, she sees what she has feared. A group of rowdy, uncontrollable mad women and criminals. 
On her tour, she sees gin being distilled in the chemistry lab. With bucket and rope. With bucket and rope and shipped outside to uh, Flash Harry. Played by George Cole. Played by the great George Cole. One of the constants in this series, I believe. Yes. Uh, the actor for sure, but the character also shows up in later iterations Absolutely. too. Um, and Jason, where does <laughs> where does Flash Harry first emerge from? He comes out of the bushes, doesn't he? Every time. He just comes out of the bushes. Every time he shows up. Somebody whistles for him, and he's just right there. He's just right there. And it it does seem weird in (laughs) 2019 eyes to see this older man just wandering around the campus of a girl's school. Yeah. But they do a good job at making sure that that you know that he's just a shady business guy. He's just shady. He's just there to make money off the gin and nothing else. Yeah. Uh, she also sees uh, uh, when the English when she goes to see the English teacher uh, teaching a class, she sees that the, she is discussing the wine country in France. <laughs> and I think this is uh, you get a little bit of Hermione Baddeley too, who's saying like because uh, she's she's doing the geography teach and she wants to and she says like uh, write about all the six best vintage wines or something. And then <laughs> I'm like, oh shit, she has finally has a line in this movie. Also, did you get to joke? I don't know what the joke is supposed to be. I'm guessing it's sex related. But before they go into that classroom, they pass by a door that says life room. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Uh, Millie, Millie is like, oh, I don't think you're ready to see that until you get used to our ways. But it's never really gone back to. Yeah, I, I don't know. Folks, if you have a better knowledge of British pop culture from the early 50s and can maybe explain this joke to us, let us know. I know you're out there. Please do. We'd like to know. Uh, so... We also get to meet the school spy, the school uh, gossip maybe, but the information broker of the school, one young Flory. Flory. Yes, who I believe has red hair based on the uh, based on the scenes. I believe black or white hair. I'm not sure which So one. Flory hears Arabella talking to Clarence about the but about the Sultan's horse. Yeah, snooping. snooping on the horse. And the fact that the next day there's going to be a trial at the farm to see how fast the horse is. Arab boy. Arab boy, of course. So she uh, is basically tortured by the fourth form girls. She well, but she runs in and she goes, "I have information that you might want. What's it worth to you?" And then they all grab her and hold her down on the floor and begin to tear her apart and until mean, she gives in. It's kind of like zombies. In uh, I don't know which zombie movie it was where they all grab the person and tear the guy apart as he's oh on the Day ground. of the Dead. Yeah, it's like Day of the Dead. But they, they literally have a torture device later, later with a yes. wheel. So. Well, yeah. Well, these also we have to mention too. They at one point play a prank on uh, Miss Fritton, where they put a can of paint above her door, and of course she opens the door and sees it and avoids it, but doesn't say anything. And then her secretary opens the door and it gets the paint gets knocked on her. And then, but that is then followed by another prank where the prank is a, a suit of armor with a fucking axe is going to be pulled down on one of them, and I assume murder them. So these girls are hardcore. Yeah, these these. Uh, I was actually surprised by the level of a violence or um, you know suggested violence mm. in this movie. Yeah. Also, in the very British fashion, that paint can scene is all off screen. Yeah. It's, <laughs> although we see lots of paint splashed around the school, so clearly this happens a lot, <laughs> all over the doors and everything. Just splats of paint. Yep. So the they they find out that this trial is happening. So the fourth form girls and the sixth form girls, the older girls, sixth form girls are generally like in the uh, I think eighteen, like seventeen, eighteen year old range, whereas fourth form are probably eleven, twelve, yeah, uh, much younger. So they go there, and the sixth form girls uh, watch the race and need to know the weight that the horse is carrying because in a horse race like that, the jockeys are all different sizes. So what they will do is they will top 
the they will add weight to the saddlebags of the horse up to the weight of the heaviest jockey. Right. So that it'll be equal across the board. Uh, so they need to find out the weight that the horse is carrying on its run. And so the sixth form girls, they just send one of their girls out to go fuck the stable boy. They'll now, be- to be fair, he walks out covered in lipstick, but we all know what happened. I, I assume she just kissed him on yeah. the cheek. But it's enough to get the information out of him. The fourth form girls, however, just use math and figure it out. I'm glad they didn't go the same route. Yeah, I'm glad. It would have been a real different movie at that point. <laughs> Things would have gotten real dark. But no, it ter- so it's like 12 stone or something, and it's crazy that he's carrying that much weight and being as fast as he is. So it means he's probably going to fucking destroy in the upcoming race. Mm-hmm. Um, so the girls decide, the younger, the fourth form girls decide they're going to bet on this race. So they take up a collection, but they only have a few pounds. But it turns out that Princess Fatima had been given 100 pounds in pocket money by her father, which in 1954, the idea of of anybody having 100 pounds of pocket money was ridiculous. Even now, 100 pounds in your pocket, pretty good. That's like like 180 bucks or something. That's That's pretty freaking good. Just imagine 1954. Yeah, yeah. It would be ridiculous for a child today to have $180 in their pocket. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so they decide they want to put... Fatima's money on the horse, but Fatima had already given the money to Mrs. Fritton to, quote, hold on to. Yeah. Uh, and she was very excited at the prospect of having 100 pounds in her possession, so we don't know if the money was even really still there. Probably not. J- judging by the fact that she's hawked all their yeah. winner's cups or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, which is, a, that is one of my favorite visual jokes in the movie, where she's like, I'll put this trophy in a special place, and then it fades out, and it looks like it's in a case, but then it turns out it's in the front window of a pawn shop. Which I didn't get on my first watch, by the way. <laughs> so she proceeds to chastise the girls for the idea that these children are going to be betting, going to be gambling on a horse race, and sends them away. But then she realizes something. She is 4,000 pounds in debt at the school and she happens to have 400 pounds 400 pounds in her account and so she does the math and figures the Arab boy who's paying 10 to 1 if she bet 400 pounds on the horse and he won she'd have the 4,000 she needed to pay her debts and pay her teachers Uh, because she can't pay the teachers they're having trouble even getting food into the school things are tough at St. Trinian's for more reasons than one Mm -hmm. so she she enrolls the help of Flash Harry Absolutely. And she gets a hold of him by just whistling. She just whistles real loud. And he comes out of the bushes. She really stares at her fingers real hard when she does that. Like, she's really impressed at the fact that she can do that. Yes. I thought she was trying to wave him over. Yeah. Well, she was, but she was really looking at her fingers. I don't know if that was a... It's a weird choice on Alistair Sims' part, but... I do want to play uh, their meeting. Please do. Mil- uh, Millie and uh, Flash Harry. Because I, I... And I want you to tell me, Jason, after this, after we listen to this scene... I want you to tell me the first actor that comes to mind when hearing Flash Harry and his delivery. And also, two things I want to mention. One, Flash Harry is hilarious. He's a wonderful cockney. He's a former student of uh, Millicent's. Yeah. And He's also, a- he seems to kind of want to fuck her. And he was like her boot boy. Yeah. Also, um, I guess I'll just point this out now. Almost the real relationship between them. The actors, because uh, Alistair Sim and his wife took in George Cole when he was very young uh, to kind of like to give him a home and like mentor him, and he when he was first acting, they did not fuck, oh, okay. uh, but uh, to mentor him when he was first acting when he was like twelve years old. Wow! So they've known each other for a long, long time. Um, but anyway, this is their little uh, conversation. I just think this is a really funny little scene. And again, I want Jason. I want you to tell me who you think of when you hear Flash Air talking. Uh, do you mind telling me your name? Harry. Harry. Oh, Harry was the name of a boot boy. I engaged in 1940. That's me. 
Oh, I was right. Then tell me, are you, are you still uh, polishing? No. Of course, I don't wish to pry, but do you mind telling me what you do, do? I tried. Gin, nylons, anything. Really? Well, in, in that case, I suppose you know something about the, about the workings of the racing world. Racing? Brought up on it. My dad sold race cards. <laughs> Funny, ain't it? Beginning like that and ending up in a public school. Yes, quite. But what I want from you now is some racing information. Do you want the winner? No, no. I, I already have the winner. What I want to know is how to, uh, to invest money on it. Yeah, it's not this stone ginger that's been floating about, is it? You know, the Sultan's horse. It is the Sultan's horse. Ah, no trouble at all. You slip me to Mazuma, I'll nip down to Elf. Same as I do for the girls. Tell me. Who does that remind you of? Well, when I first saw it, it first came to mind, it reminded me of Peter Sellers in It's okay. All Right, Jack. Okay. Uh, and I know you must be thinking of somebody obvious that I just can't pull. It may, maybe it's not obvious. Maybe it's just me. But when I hear his delivery and I see the way he even like moves around, feels like Michael Palin. Yeah, I, uh, absolutely. He does absolutely feel like a stock character from a Monty Python sketch for sure. Yeah, like even just like, I mean, he's kind of got the, the, the stature too. Yeah. And just the way he's like, Nylons and like leans in and leans yeah. back like that feels like a very Michael. He, he reminds thing me a little bit of Eric Idle in the uh, in the famous uh, wink wink nudge nudge sketch. Yeah, I I winks as good as an old blonde bat. I eh? maybe because he's got this like maybe because he's got this vibe that's like he's he's obviously like a little bit sinister, mm-hmm. but in a very soft way. Like yeah. he doesn't feel very dangerous to me. Yeah, no, he doesn't feel like he's like some sort of sexual predator or something. No. But he's he's clearly a shady guy because he's willing to deal in gin manufactured by schoolgirls illicitly. In their school it's kind of how uh like i feel about michael palin in even like a movie like brazil where he's supposed to be this obviously not a great guy but in, super the, in the end but all very upbeat uh he's he's even like i oh, don't want to do this to you come on yeah. like you know what i mean he's just, he, to me i thought of him right away i thought yeah. like man michael palin would be great at this part really any of the pythons have all done this sort of like accent role before the the guy in the the brown coat and oh hello gov you know the guy in the brown coat the sequel to the man in the white suit yes <laughs> which we will watch later on this podcast tonight <gasps> No, I'm just kidding. I got you. You should have seen your face. You were so freaking out. So, back in the movie, Arabella breaks the news to her father that uh, Arab Boy is really fucking fast. And Mm. they have an issue because he's clearly faster than Blue Prince. Which is Clarence's horse. Which is Clarence's horse. Now, Arabella suggests that perhaps they could just knob the horse up. Nobble him. Which I, or nobble him, which I assume means to either poison him or make him sick or do something in some way to get him out of competition. I looked this up because yeah. I also wanted to know, and I believe it just means steal. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I, at first I was like, nobble, does that mean like, <laughs> you know what I get, you know what I thought of? I thought of hobbling from yeah. uh, misery. Understandable. And, and I, the, the, because, and, and also having grown up around, uh, Standard bread racing, which this is not. This is thoroughbred racing. But having grown up around standard bread racing, there's a type of race called a pace. And most horses to pace require hobbles to wear to allow them to keep that stride. Now, there are certainly horses that can do it naturally, but most of them need the hobbles to do it. So I thought it was some connection to that nobble, hobble. But uh, no, it just means, I guess it means steel. 
which Clarence doesn't want to do initially, but then clearly comes around the next day when he takes Arabella up on her plan. So the next day, before the big field hockey match that's happening, uh, which we'll talk about, yeah, um, yeah, she meets up with Clarence and decides, and and they agree that they're going to steal the horse um, after the field uh, hockey match. Um, Just long enough to keep it away from the race so that Blue Prince has a clear shot to victory. So let's talk about that field hockey match for a sec, because this is this is the scene that really shows you who the girls of St. Trinian's are. So yeah. first off, they, they uh, there's talk before this that they have won pretty much every field hockey cup at some point. I think every single yeah, except one, which is this one, I believe. Which is this one. Yeah. Uh, when they are out getting the field ready, <laughs> some of the girls notice that the net. On the opponent's side is way bigger. Well, Ruby notices. Ruby that. notices yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, well, how do you know that's even going to be your net? You have to do a coin toss, and they're like, it's heads up. It's a double sided. It's coin. a double sided coin, and they're like, well, what about at halftime when they switch? She's like, we never make it to halftime. <laughs> <laughs> so when the when the bus carrying the opposing team is driven up to the school, all the girls from the school are standing outside, screaming and jeering at them, yeah. shaking their fists and throwing shit at the bus so much so that they break a window in the bus. It should be noted too that just before this field hockey game starts there was a whole moment where the department the education minister said that he sent two agents into st trinian's mm-hmm. to see what was going on and they were they disappeared yes we find out they've just been living there they've just been living there and i think just fucking the six form girls that's having the impression a, i get having a french lunch a french lunch they call uh, it. well and and i believe it at uh who is it? Uh, somebody tells... Oh, is, it must be uh, Ruby. Says that they're pretty much having an orgy out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she says, like, it's... it's Yeah, uh, French lunch might as well be an orgy. And Millie's like, oh, that's fine. But they've stayed for a reason. Yep. Oh, boy, they've stayed for a reason. Yeah, that's kind of... Oh, he mentioned it now. The, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're probably 18, but... Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, this, this field hockey game uh, gets into it, and a Ruby, who is refing the game, which is not, you know, I mean, she is at the school, so it seems weird that she's refing. Well, she's the game's mistress. She's the game's mistress, true. But she pretty much immediately gets knocked out. With a mallet. With a mallet, Croquet of mallet, yeah. Well, not a croquet mallet, a field hockey stick. I thought they mentioned that it was a croquet mallet. Well, well maybe it was, but they're playing field hockey. Yeah, but I think they still have mallets for some reason. <laughs> so she gets knocked out immediately, and we don't see it. It's off screen, but clearly it's a it's a... Just they just tear the shit out of these people. And, well, and uh, they have that great shot of like um, they have stretchers ready. Yes, and there's that great fade. Like they keep fading between shots of like less and less and less stretchers because they're all in use. Yeah, and uh, it's just the other team getting knocked out. And the opposing school's headmistress is of course demanding that they they restart the match. Get a new they, referee at once. Yeah, get a new referee. Like let's do this fairly. And she runs out on the field and she too gets knocked out. Yeah, <laughs> take that. There's no referee! But you can't conceivably allow that goal! The referee's unconscious! <laughs> we don't usually worry. I demand that another referee be appointed at once. going on over there? Look at that girl with the crooked mallet. If you don't appoint a referee at once, I shall stop the game. So they managed to pull the theft off. 
the sixth form girls uh, manage to get the, uh, they, they use the inside guy, the stable boy, and they do all the work and they're ready to steal the horse. But who comes and gets them first? The fourth form girls. Dun, dun, dun. Bum, bum, bum. And they take the horse and sc- and scurry it away. That's not the word. Uh, and spirit the horse away back to the school. Yes, it's a real Animal House moment. Where they, where they store the horse in their dorm. Mm-hmm. And the horse is kept there quietly. And the plan is that in the morning, they're going to sneak the horse out and get him back to the racetrack so he can run the race. Right. But a complication ensues when our friend Flory, who is very mouthy, uh, notices the horse in the window and immediately runs and tells Arabella and the six form girls that the horse is there. So a plan is concocted. Arabella and the six form girls block all the hallways. They basically build a makeshift barricade uh, in the hallways to keep the horse from leaving. Millicent and the teachers obviously have to deal with this because Millicent needs this horse to run because she wants to pay off her debt. And she convinces the teachers by using that logic. Be like, if you want to get paid, you better help me. Absolutely. And so they, they form together and they have a wonderful scene where Millicent gives an inspiring speech and they begin a full frontal attack on the sixth form girls. Ladies and gentlemen, we are faced with open rebellion. The sixth form have imprisoned the fourth form in their dormitory, I regret to say, with a racehorse. Not this Arab boy. It's this Arab boy, and it is absolutely imperative that it runs today for all our sakes. Our sakes? Yes, you see, I have put the school funds on it. What? So, if you want to collect your salaries, you must help to release it. That's come to this, the jolly old stipend on a non-runner. Look, I propose to storm the barricades. I'm sure that if we make one consulted charge, we shall carry the day. So come along, arm yourselves and follow me. There is not one moment to lose. She becomes a real uh, army general there. Yep, and so she gets them all on the stairs, ready to go. She calls charge, and they run up to attack. Of course, it all happens off screen, and then quickly they return, covered in dust, bleeding, and quite beaten from the uh, attempted attack, which was held off. Yep. So while this is all happening, the milkman arrives, and he comes in, he comes onto the property with his horse and cart delivering milk, and that will figure into the plan. So the girls figure out their plan, but they need a distraction. Uh, and thankfully, for some reason, I don't remember, is there a reason why they show up? But the old guard shows up, former students of, of St. Trinian's. I didn't understand that either. Yeah, so the, it, it is it basically it's former girls that used to go there. Oh, I know that. I just I don't know why they showed yeah, up. Yeah, I don't know why they showed up either. I, maybe they were there for the hockey game. Sure. They missed it. Maybe they were there for Parents' Day. Who <laughs> maybe knows? Maybe they were there for Parents' Day. Who knows? But they show up, and, of course, they come in with Zulu shields, mind you, and spears. Forming like a type of like, uh, well, what was it called? Uh, in, in the Greek and Roman days, uh, the hoplites would do it. Where it's oh, like a shield wall. I know what you're talking about. You know yeah. what I mean, yeah. yeah. They basically do that. You never phalanx? see any of their... A phalanx, exactly. It's yeah. like a phalanx. But they, you never see any of their faces. Uh, they just come in as a shield wall and are giving Zulu war cries and proceed to attack the six forms and distract them long enough for the horse to be lowered out the window. With I assume bed with, the, with bed sheets. Uh, down onto the ground, who is then switched out for the milk horse and put on the cart and then takes off. Yes. And at one point, uh, uh, Judy, Judy, at one point, Ruby decides that uh, she needs to get, she has been keeping track of what's going on. She'd been locked in a bathroom after she'd been knocked out during the match. And she wrote down, she heard a conversation between Millicent and Clarence and took notes, but she took notes on the linoleum floor and so once that was over, she managed to pull the whole floor up, roll it up, and get outside the building and jump on the horse that she think is, thinks is Arab boy yeah. and takes off to the police station to deliver this evidence. 
I, I was confused at that po- point because I was like, did she just rip up the tile? Yeah. But it's just all the notes she was writing on the white squares. <laughs> so they so the horse gets off, taken back to the track. We get to see it on TV as the education minister now hanging out and getting drunk with the, the two inspectors and the various sixth form girls that are willing to do terrible things for them. Uh, they watch the race happen, and sure enough, Arab Boy comes in and wins the race. And everybody's happy. Except for Clarence. Except for Clarence, because he lost a lot of money on this deal. Yeah. But he, he's already taken off. He's gone. He ran away when this whole attack was going on. Yeah. So, in appreciation, the Sultan himself comes to the school and is presenting awards and is presenting a good conduct award to the whole school, which this is 1954. This award, we are told, has not been awarded since 1927. Which I think, based on what she said, is like one of the first years the school was open. Yeah, 1926, <laughs> I think she said yeah. they opened, yeah. Um, and so he's giving a speech and holding this uh, this trophy, and then the lights go out, and when the lights come back, they're screaming, and when the lights come back up, the trophy is gone. <laughs> Somebody stole it, of course. And so uh, Millicent stands up and says, look, this is a very special day. You girls have to be on your best behavior. I'm going to turn the lights out again, and whoever stole that trophy, just return it, and nothing will be ever said again. And so she flicks the lights off. There's more screaming and rowdiness. She flicks the lights back on. And not only is the trophy not returned, all the other trophies on the table are gone. And the whole dais collapses as she's sitting on it. The kids pull down, yeah. Yep. And the end pops up. She just sits there on her she chair just sits going, there going, Ooh, uh-huh. Here we go again. Yep. And the end. And that's a great comedy beat to end this movie. And St. Trinian's is over. The bells of St. Trinian's. Yes. Now, I have a few things I need to say about this movie, Brendan. Okay. Things I liked about this movie, because I wrote them down specifically. So, one thing I noticed, and I don't know if you noticed this, because I went and looked it up. So, did you notice what the motto of the school is? No. So, in the front entrance of the school, there's like a big crest, and there's the motto written in Latin. The motto is in flagrante delicto. And I looked this up. Do you know what that means? That is a legal term, which means that if a criminal is caught in the act of doing a crime... It's called inflagranti delecto. So if you are caught red-handed in the middle of a crime, that's what that's called. And that's yeah. the school's motto. <laughs> oh, my God. So that's real funny. Uh, a quote I loved from this movie was uh, uh, Millicent is talking about the girls at the school. And she says, at most schools, girls are sent out quite unprepared for a merciless world. But when our girls leave here, it is the merciless world which has to be prepared. <laughs> I do love that line. That's basically the thesis statement of the girls of St. Trinian's. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned that both Fatima and the Sultan are in brown face, clearly. I thought Fatima at first was like a legit brown person. I thought she was too. But then, unless she was, and then they fired her and replaced her with a white girl, because it's clear in later scenes that she has brown face and d- dyed hair. And I don't, I also think she's dubbed too. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, there is a lot of smoking in this movie. Uh, the teacher's lounge is basically like an officer's club where they're all hammered, drinking and smoking because they're not getting paid, so I guess they may as well drink and smoke. Well, and the sixth form girls were smoking too. Yes. And oh, one yeah, of them, just one openly. Of them, one of them is married. Yeah. <laughs> they're all very old. <laughs> um, I, in the teacher's lounge, I think I mentioned earlier, but my uh, my favorite moment was when she's introducing the various teachers and she walks over to Hermione badly and says, and she'll be taking you in geography some of the time because she's hammered on the couch my my favorite joke from that scene is when she goes up to the English teacher and she's like hello ducks actually can we just play that yeah, please do this is Miss Drowner <laughs> she'll be taking you in geography some of the time come along girls and this is Miss Gale 
who'll be taking you in English literature. Hello, Dags. How are you? I hope you like it here. <laughs> Come along, girls. Come along. <laughs> I just like as she introduces the English teacher, and then she's like, Dux. "I'll be like it here." By the way, that that lady, uh, Irene Handel, Peter Sellers' wife, and I'm all right, Jack. That is the that is her. That yes, is her voice there. Absolutely. And one last thing, uh, a line that really made me laugh in the movie. Uh, after after she wins the bet, Millicent is uh, talking to the parents, and and she says, "In that case, ladies and gentlemen, courtesy forbids me from telling you where to send your daughters." <laughs> I think like that too. Yeah. So yeah, this this is a pretty funny movie. Well, would you like some background on this? Please movie? give me some history. Well, Saint Trinian's is a fictional girls' boarding school. Clearly, obviously, um, it's a creation actually of this English cartoonist named named Ronald Searle, or Surly S E A R L E. I think yeah. it's Searle. And of course, it later became a series of four comedy films, mm-hmm. um, not including the later, the more recent ones, but. The cartoon first appeared in 1941. It's a single panel cartoon, correct? Yes. Yes. So it first appeared in 1941, but shortly afterwards it had to be put on hold for a while because Searle had to fulfill his military service where he was captured at Singapore and spent the rest of the war as a prisoner of the Japanese from 1941 to the end of the war. He may have been in Bridge on the River Kwai. He may have been. He may have been one of the people saying... Is he on the Bataan Death March? I say, Alan Guinness, I think you've gone too far. You've gone too far. After the war, though, in 1946, he started making new cartoons about the girls, but, which this will not surprise you, his content got a lot darker because he had just spent five, four, four or five years as a prisoner of war in In, Japan. In, like, the worst prison camps you could be in in the war. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, the stuff in this movie kind of surprised me a little bit. Like, some of it's kind of dark. I think a child dies off screen. Because there's <laughs> a scene where you're talking about where they're making uh, gin. Yes. And Millie sees one of them, like, pounding on something. And she says, careful with that nitroglycerin, yeah. darling. And then when they leave the room, there's, like, an explosion. She's like, oh, dear. I told her to be careful with that nitroglycerin. I'm like, did that child just blow up a child is dead yeah but and so here's the thing so um the cartoons often showed dead bodies of girls who had been murdered with pitchforks Uh or you know victims of these violent sports that they do um sometimes with vulture circling girls drank Mm. gambled smoked and actually uh, there's another little detail is a report reputed or believed that the uniform of the school in the movie and in the cartoons, uh, was based on the uniform that his that uh, Searle's daughter Kate mm. uh, had while she attended uh, a school in Dulwich. Yes, the film also impl- the films also imply uh, there's not like a whole lot in this, but I guess mm. as you go on, it becomes more obvious that these girls are actually the daughters of gangsters and like crooks yeah. and bookmakers and other kind of like low life scum. Yes. Uh, w- one thing I've noticed about this, and, and I'm not sure of the timeline on here, so I don't know who might have inspired who, but this this type of comic, like it's a single panel comic with some very dark themes, is very reminiscent to me of The Addams Family. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. A similar kind of idea of, of something that was started off as like a one panel comic and then eventually transitioned into other media. So, well, even yeah. the, the content is yeah. kind of feels like, yeah. It's kind of similar idea. It's not quite as macabre in the same way as The Addams Family, but definitely violent and, and uh, uh, you know, not pulling any punches. Yeah, it's very much in the sense that all these characters are kind of have this air of, like, 
Yeah, like like not evil, but I, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, kind of, it's just a little darker. It, this is like the This is like I don't know if you remember the old uh, children's books, Madeline, about like uh, the French schoolgirls that like. Anyways, it reminds me of like a real dark version of Madeline. <laughs> Um, so this is also the first of four films in the St. Trinian series, the first iteration. We have this one, followed by uh, Blue Murder at St. Trinian's. Ooh, right um, into it. Then The Pure Hell of St. Trinian's. That's and then, rough. Of, of course, The Great St. Trinian's Train Robbery. Mm-hmm. The people behind this movie. So, of course, one thing I want to mention, too, is at the beginning of this film, when they do like their production logo, it's just a it's a live-action shot of two, of like a set like a film set and that's like not something i expect to see in a 1954 film like well i mean you had to do that you couldn't just cg it well no but a lot of times you just have the little logo that's true that just felt a lot more uh they really went all out yeah um but frank launder and sydney gilead who are the two producers and frank launder obviously also the director uh they actually previously wrote and this this might blow your mind because it's a completely different kind of movie they wrote the lady vanishes wow. for alfred hitchcock crazy <laughs> yeah so they will we will be talking about these two guys again here's another crazy thing i hope mm-hmm. uh, i i know you i know you're gonna like this okay so alistair sim playing both title roles yeah not not originally no. in the cards huh. so you know who they wanted for the female role well julie christie would have been far too young it's our old pal Margaret Rutherford. Oh, she would have been great. <laughs> she would have been great, right? Yeah, she would have suited this role very well. I mean, I think Alistair Sim does a great job. Oh, no, he is wonderful, for um, sure. But yeah, Margaret Rutherford couldn't commit at the last minute, and so Alistair Sim literally had to be like, fuck it, I'm doing both. I will do it myself. Yeah. <laughs> also, props to Alistair Sim. Like, he has such a wonderful, deep voice, and yet he's able to do enough of a falsetto that sounds like, you know, I don't know that it necessarily sounds like a lady, but it's definitely in that range. <laughs> So let's get into the movie a little bit more. Because mm. I have a note here that says, was there an implication early in the film? So the Sultan wants to send his daughter to a school abroad, right? Yeah. He says, like, oh, you know, the, the Air Force is here and they've just built this base. Is he essentially saying my daughter is soon going to be at the age where these Royal Air Force guys will try to fuck her? You know what? That is a legitimate concern of a father, I think, in any era. Especially yeah. if you're living near an Air Force base. But that's definitely what he implied, right? Yeah. Okay. I think so, yeah. I also enjoy the fact that he, uh, that I mentioned the, the multiple wives joke. There's a, a journalist that comes through who is dressed very scantily. And he's like, oh, wait, is that one of my wives? Uh, tell her to come see me. Oh, well, that's not one of your wives, sir. <laughs> and then and then also later on, he says something about uh, Fatima's mother. Yeah. And she's like, well, and he's like, oh, well, go check the files yeah, for check it. check the files. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know who her mother is. <laughs> oh, speaking of the Adams family, did Miss Water Miss Waters, the one that they meet at the gate... Arabella and Clarence when they first go in did she not remind you of Morticia yeah she definitely had that actually what I thought of more so than Morticia was Snape in the Harry Potter films like she kind of had that same like uh that dark kind of ambiance of like oh oh don't worry about her she's just the sewing teacher you know yeah (laughs) well uh, the scripture and sewing scripture and sewing the 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 actual british school equivalent of defense against the dark arts yes i would also uh would also like to point out that for 1954 technology the combination the scenes where millie and clarence are both on screen at the same shot pretty impressive pretty well done there's a couple of you can kind of sometimes see the seam if you're really looking but it, it looks really well done yeah yeah i mean and and props to alistair sim for being able to sew so accurately act against himself. Yeah, it's crazy. Like he, like like they have they overlap a little bit. Like it sounds like dialogue. Like they did a really good job of timing that all out. Like I said to Jason before we started recording this episode, if I had not known, 
I mean, I would. I think it's pretty obvious that a man is playing Millie. Yeah. But I don't know if I would say that it's Alistair Sim in both no. roles. Like, you he, think it was just some dude who was like his brother that yeah. was playing his sister? Yeah, and like they're literally they literally cross each other's shots in yeah. some scenes, and I'm like, whoa! Like you'd expect doubles and like single shots and. But it's it's pretty. Uh, it's they push special good. effects to their limits of nineteen fifty four availability. Yeah, it's a real Lucas film for nineteen fifty four. I bet you he was inspired by this movie. Yes. This, uh, oh yes, George, you I, were going to say something. I just wanted to stop by. I wanted to say that uh, Jar Jar Binks was directly inspired by this film, and Alistair Sim. Alistair Sim is the character basis for Jar Jar Binks. If you took Alistair Sim and you and you cranked him up to eleven, you'd get Jar Jar Binks. Thanks, guys. I'm going home now. Bye. Jetpack. That was cool. <laughs> um, I no longer think this movie should have been made. Uh, Alistair Sim, you can burn in hell. <laughs> That's what you get for a George Lucas endorsement. How dare you? Oh, there's lots of like little funny... I know you mentioned some of the little like funny lines, um, small funny moments. The other one I really like is when Millie is talking about the school and she's talking about how wonderful it is. And she's like, and she walks over to the window and says, lots of fresh air. And you see that the window has clearly been broken. Yeah. And she says, mm, particularly fresh air. <laughs> <laughs> like the school is a shithouse. Yes, it is. It is a dump. Here's a question for you. Sure. Hit me. How genuine do you think Millie is? Do you think she... Because, I mean, she hawks the cups. But do you think there's, like, a genuine part of her... I think she I think she does actually care about the girls, but I think this whole thing is a scam on her part and has been a scam since she opened the school. And it's amazing that she's managed to keep it going as long as she has. Yeah, because, I mean, she obviously knows this is not a good... The girls are not well-behaved, and she really does nothing about it. But I wonder if it's also a part of, like, she's giving a place for these girls who may not have otherwise had a place. These girls that yeah. would have been such a disruption to other schools that they can kind of be themselves here. So I think there is goodness in her. I think she is legitimately doing a good thing on top of her scam, which is a very poor scam because she's 4,000 pounds in debt. So, <laughs> And do you think, like, do you think, what do you think the kids think of her? Because they kind of, they kind of, torture her a little bit but there's also it feels like there's a little bit of respect I think there is because I think she because she gives them such a long leash that yeah. they get a sort of freedom that they're not used to otherwise or, or that they have to take on their own because they have uh, inattentive parents but yeah no, I, I think they do have a respect for her because she allows them to kind of be themselves which you know in, in 1950s England I can't imagine that you could just be yourself I mean British society is all about pretension you know about being something you're not or, or living up to some standard that you can't achieve. Um, another another small little moment is I like how the uh, when Ruby is applying or when he makes Ruby apply for the teaching position just so she can go undercover, the ad for Teachers for St. Trinian says, looking for assistant teachers, no previous experience necessary. <laughs> not something you usually see on an ad for teachers. Not usually, no. They like to have a little bit of something, maybe a degree. <laughs> Can we talk about? Can we talk about briefly? I know she's barely in this movie, but she has that funny moment that you really like, um, and she has a couple of things. But Hermione Baddeley, I gotta say, now having understood kind of where she came from mm -hmm. originally, like very big brassy comedy type roles, yeah. I think I appreciate that Oscar nom for Room at the Top even more because that movie we that was the first one we watched with yeah. her, and she was very like she was very, obviously she was. Not, I don't want to say over the top, but she was very loud. She was, very she was just a brassy big bro. presence. Yeah, but like these movies are very comedic, and that movie, like in a dramatic way, that I don't, that I think people at the time would have been like, whoa. Yeah, to see this actress who you know, you know, for comedy and stuff, to come out and pull off this this 
not only amazing, but very brief performance that is so powerful that it got an Oscar nomination. Yeah. Like, that's that's intense. And you got to respect her for that. And the fact that she was able to subvert expectations to her own uh, being. You mentioned... Um... You mentioned the Zulu thing, which yeah. is kind of funny because we did Zulu. Absolutely. The other thing, uh, the other there's two more that kind of like that for movies we've done on the list, and they're not intentional because this was made before. Yeah. But uh, one at one point, actually, this one might be because what year was Passport to Pimlico? Nineteen forty nine. Yeah. So there is a moment where somebody is like pointing. Someone says, "Point to Burgundy on a map," <laughs> and it's right in front of Hermione Baddeley. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's there. She's a geography teacher. And then the other one is uh, Flash Harry at one point says, I'm just a go-between. Yeah. <laughs> I like, to this reoccurring thing of how when people come up with these very unsavory plans, like you mentioned Arabella telling her dad about nobbling the horse, they always act so offended at first. Yeah. Like, there's that one. There's the one where when Harry suggests that Millie is going to bet on a horse race. Mm-hmm. And then there's the... Uh, and then Millie again, when Harry suggests they could quote-unquote take care of ruby yeah (laughs) there's always the reaction like oh i would never oh and then minutes later it's like what what do you mean by that it's like a very like maybe suddenly i'm interested (laughs) yeah she even says like what do you mean take care of ruby it's like what do you think flash harry means millicent (laughs) Um, that'd be a real darker movie though if he just straight up killed her i mean do you think he has some kills Mm, i bet you they're accidental i feel like flash harry is kind of a goon but i don't think he's like a dangerous dangerous well, he's no murderer yeah i like oh i wrote down apocalypse now because the two investigators that get sucked in and start living there felt very apocalypse yeah now to me. they're very much yeah they went up the river and stayed <laughs> oh so the last thing i want to say you know what this movie totally reminded me of i know you said the adams family for me bad news bears and you were absolutely right this movie if the if the guys who made bad news bears had not seen this movie i would be incredibly surprised right because especially when you get to the sports scene yes absolutely now to be fair you know miss uh miss millie is not a an alcoholic nor <laughs> as is far she as we know nor is she billy bob thornton like the remake yeah no she's not billy bob thornton she's not walter matthau she's alistair sim <laughs> Yes. But yeah, no, this movie is a very much a, a feel of that, of like a group of misfit kids being managed by an adult who is clearly not qualified to no. do this. <laughs> the difference is, I think, I mean, the main difference is, um, I mean, aside from the obvious ones, is there's no switch in this movie. It's no. like, there's no like, oh, the kids are still kind of awful, but they're, you know, they did a good thing. No, they're awful from minute one to the end. Well, and I mean, in Bad News Bears, you have the arc of Walter Matthau initially just hating himself and, and the kids in this job, and then eventually coming to, you know, like them. By yeah, the they're all kind of awful together, but in Bad News Bears, I feel like the kids make more of a personality change yeah. than in this. I feel like this is just like... Yeah, they, they, they hang together and eventually become a competent ball team. But, but yeah, in this movie, they're still the the bells of St. Trinian's. Yeah. Oh, the bells of St. Trinian's. <laughs> well, Jason, this next section is going to be real quick because this thing doesn't go to the Oscars. No. This thing doesn't go to the BAFTAs. Aww. But it was the third most successful film of 1954 in Britain. Yeah. So it did, it did very well in the box office. I do not do not have the exact numbers. <laughs> There's no do you know way. who did better? No. There you go. You're the worst, Brendan. I know. You're fired? Yes. Now I have to edit this all myself. Okay, (laughs) sweet. Have at it, Hoss. 
So that, uh, yeah, do you have anything else to add before we move on to the kind Just, of Just, I was, I was not expecting this movie. Uh, when I heard the bells of St. Trinian's, and I think I mentioned it the last of, uh, last week's episode, that I thought that it was going to be like Black Narcissist, like this was going to be some movie about nuns or a church school or something, but it was not what I expected, and I'm glad. That's the second time that's happened, because you thought the same thing when we were going to do I'm Alright Jack. You were like, oh, it's going to be some fucking, like, weepy, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm alright, Jack. I'm alright, Jack. I'm alright. <laughs> I did not know the sarcasm of the British phrase, I'm alright, Jack. Yes. But here's my conundrum in this movie. Yeah. I think it's funny. Yeah. I enjoyed it a great deal. I mean, it is 94 on the list. I don't know if it belongs on like a top 100 necessarily. It's a it's a fun comedy. I mean, now that we've kind of, you've kind of pointed out the Addams Family and like we said Bad News Bears and stuff, I get, okay, so yeah, there's it's a bit really of influence. influential. Yeah. It's influential. I think on the lower end of the list, though, is probably where it belongs, yeah. just because it doesn't feel like as as influential or as important as a lot of the movies we've talked well, let's about. Let's think about what comedies we've watched so far. We've watched Local Hero. Yeah. We've watched Passport to Pimlico. We've watched uh, Life is Sweet, I would say. Counts yeah. as a comedy. Different kind, but yeah. Different kind of comedy, for sure. Uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Yep. Uh, Full Monty. And The Full Monty. And that might be it, as far as actual comedies. Right. I'm All Right, Jack. I'm All Right, Jack. Okay, so that's six. Yeah. Uh, is it the funniest comedy we've watched? Mm, I don't think so. Uh, I, I mean, I would say I, I like Local Hero and Four Weddings and a Funeral better. Yeah. But, I mean... I mean, Local Hero was wonderful. It was wonderful. But this, you know what, I, I think this movie does deserve a place on the list because it's such a... I, I imagine it must be iconic in Britain. Like, this franchise has been around for so long. Yeah. It's important to the time. And then we look at the influence that it has, obviously, and we get to see Alistair Sim in a role, because Alistair Sim is so heavily associated with A Christmas Carol. Like, I literally don't know any other Alistair Sim movies besides now A Christmas Carol. But now I do. And I can see how good he is, even in a comedy. Yeah. You know? I Maybe you should have brought that to Scrooge. <laughs> Could have made it a, a like a fucking screwball comedy. Well, that's the thing. Like, I, I I'm not saying by any means it's a bad movie. I I enjoyed it. It's funny. I just think 94 sounds about ish, yeah. right? Maybe, yeah, I'd maybe, say. maybe not even 94, but definitely in like the bottom 20. I would say. Well, when we eventually get to carry on up the Kyber, we'll find out if that's funnier than this one. Yeah, let's see how well that one holds up. <laughs> I'm I'm hold my I'm having my hopes up. I think it's going to be wonderful. Yeah, you think... Uh, There's going to be a lot of brown face. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of ethnic jokes. What? Maybe, but uh, we'll see. But there won't be any sexism, right? Eh, I bet you there'll be some uh, some bugs and women in this one. Excellent. So that, uh, yeah, that wraps it up. That's the Bells of St. Trinians. That's the Bells of St. Trinians. Now, normally, Jason, at this point, we would roll the dice. That's what we do. That's what we do. We find out what movie on the BFI Top 100 that we are going to do next week. However, next week we are going to be releasing a mini episode yes. of sorts. Uh, Jason is going to go see the Downton Abbey movie. And I will report back. You will report back. And we're going to have a little mini discussion on just like TV shows that become movies in general. And we need to do that so that Brendan can have a week to move his shit to a new apartment. Yeah. Woo. A little behind the scenes there. And I'll be excited to sit at a table. It'll be fun. Yeah. I can't wait to sit in a chair at a table. <laughs> like a real person. Wow. So be sure to check that out next week. Again, Downton Abbey, little mini review of Downton Abbey. Also a little discussion of TV shows turned into movies. But you can find us on Facebook. You can. For Screen and Country. Look us up. Look us up. Hit us up. You can also find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can also find Jason on Twitter 
at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. And folks, if you're enjoying the podcast, tweet me. Let me know. I, I want to hear it out there. I mean, we, we see the downloads. We see the comments. We appreciate everybody listening. But, you know, give me a tweet. Let me know you're listening. I would just love to hear that. It would make my day. Do it. Send Do them, it. Send them uh, nudes. Uh, I can get plenty of those on my own without help. Thank you. Uh, yeah, just, um, you know, send them, send them little comments, little comments, little, little question. Maybe if you have a question about me or, uh, or my expertise, which is very minimal. Yeah. Ask him some real in-depth questions about if you want to know the 54 Britain, if you want to know the prices of cigarettes in this province, I can tell you what they are at my store. No problem. <laughs> $14 plus a pack, folks. That's the kind of shit we have to pay. There's a reason I'm quitting smoking. It's too fucking expensive. Yeah. Health Don't is, smoke. It's health, terrible. Health is not a factor. <laughs> so, with that being said, Jason. Brandon. I had to say to you. Say it. To you. Oh, please say it. I'll say it to you. I'm listening. God save the queen. Ooh. And God save the screen. For Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. Oh, and I'm Jason. That is disturbing. Mm. Bells of St. Trinity's. Don't know much about history. Don't know much biology. Don't know much about a science book. Don't know much about the French I took. But I do know that I love you. And I know that if you love me, what a wonderful world this would be Don't know much about geography Don't know much trigonometry Don't know much about algebra Don't know what a sliding rule is for But I do know what it was too And if this one could be with you What a wonderful world this would be So I was out with this girl the other night, and she said that she hated Star Wars. Can you believe that? I could top that. My latest date told me he didn't like black and white movies. What? Do you have a movie deal breaker? Is there a film you love so much that if your significant other didn't like it, it would be Splitsville? Well, we're dating hosts, Greg and Lauren, and in our podcast, Movie Date Night, we introduce each other to our favorite movies and see if our relationship can survive. And if our partners appreciate the movies as much as we do. Find us wherever podcasts are available and follow us at Movie Date Night on Facebook or Twitter to talk movies with us. Hey everyone, it's Chris and Mike from The Recasting Couch, the podcast where we take our favorite movies and discuss what they would be like with new actors in all the lead roles. Hey Mike, tell them where they can find us on social media. You can find our website at therecastingcouch.com or on Twitter at RecastingPod. And of course, you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Android, or anywhere else you find your favorite podcasts. Yeah, if there's a service that's not posting our pod, you let us know and we will rectify that immediately. Damn right. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. If you've ever found yourself scrolling through the recommended movies on streaming services and wondering if any of those are worth your time, I'm here to help. Hi, I'm Erica, host of Customers Also Watched, a podcast about movies on Amazon Prime. 
I started with one movie from my own watch list, and from there, each episode, I grab a friend or two, and we discuss a movie from the customer's also watch list of the previous episode's movie. Follow on Twitter at CAW Podcast, and Facebook or Instagram under Customers Also Watched. Available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podbean. See you down the rabbit hole.